I want you to see one of the first first responders throughout Scripture. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to head to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 25, and uh, it's really the entire chapter of 25, but I won't make you go through the whole chapter with me. I've only got like 25 minutes, so we're going to, we're going to block it up a little bit, but I want you to see what happens when a first responder gets involved and what makes up a first responder. And, and this is, like I said, not just for those that have made a career out of this and, and do this day in and day out, but every single one of us, we are in many ways uh, called to be a first responder, whether that's in our family. I mean, what does a first responder do? They respond to a crisis. They respond to a problem. They respond to chaos. I don't know if you've ever had toddlers in your house, but I mean, that's the need for first responders every single day in that house. So your workplace, your community, we respond to moments that need our help. And so that's what I want us to really focus on and see is, is how God uses us and calls us to come to the problem, to walk into the danger, to go to what's burning and what's on fire so that we can actually help. But a lot of times we want to help, but we end up making it worse. And so we're going to see through God's word how a first responder is actually helpful and how God can continue to use each and every one of us in moments of crisis, problems, trauma, you name it. Now, let me give you a little background here. Uh, David, King David, David and Goliath, that David, he has already been chosen as the next king of Israel. And doing so, he's become very successful. Everything that he does is perfect. Everything he touches turns to gold. And the king that is currently sitting on the throne, King Saul, is not very happy about that, as you could imagine. So King Saul starts hunting down and chasing after David, trying to kill him. So you have King Saul, current king of Israel, chasing the new to be, soon to be king, King David. And David is out running and hiding from Saul until Saul's days finally end, and then he would be king. So that's what is happening with David, and that's the scene of David. And obviously him and about, uh, there's about 600 of his men are hiding out, and they survive by different people that would be willing to give some of their food, give some of their supplies. And so that's where David finds himself in this scene. 1 Samuel chapter 25 starting in verse 2. It says, A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats, three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. Now what that means is, is he's mean just to be mean. He's He's irrational, he is just rude, he's harsh in his dealings. That's what that word surly means. He's just harsh. And you've got the other side, you have Abigail, his wife, who said, Scripture says that she's beautiful and intelligent. So two very different spouses here. One mean, irrational, irrational, unreasonable, just harsh. Abigail, on the other hand, is intelligent and beautiful, and we're going to see wise here in just a little bit. So what happened next is, David is around his, his area, so he sends some messengers, some of David's men, sends them to Nabal and says, hey, we're, we're kind of out with David, and, and we're hiding. Can we just have some of, some of your supplies? Can we have some food? And in fact, David and his men had been protecting the shepherds and a lot of the other workers and the other servants at Nabal's home. And so he sends these messengers, David sends some of his men, saying, hey, can we just have a little bit? We're in need. Would you be willing to help? And Nabal looks at David's messengers and says, no. And not just no, I mean, he kind of goes on a rant, this, this high and mighty, who do you think you are? Why do you think I would share any of my stuff with you? Who do you think you are compared to me? So he doesn't just say no, but just goes on a rant 
So then David's men come back and, of course, they begin to report to David. Here's what happens. Verse 12. We're skipping down a little bit. Verse 12. David's men returned, turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. You think that was intentional? <laughs> it wasn't just, hey, David, he said thanks, but no thanks. It was, oh, sit down, David. We have, we have a story to tell you. And they told him every single word that Nabal had told them. They reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. So understand how this situation is quickly escalating out of control. David goes from a zero to a 10 almost instantly, emotionally speaking. He sends, he plays the nice guy. Hey, guys, why don't you go out and just ask him for, for a few supplies, some food. We've been here helping out. When he hears the every word that Nabal sent back, he just says, that's it. 400 of you all, get your swords on. We're going to go visit this guy. He, he wants to play that game with me? All right, let's go. And so you have this, this battle starting to happen just where, and they haven't even met yet. And things are starting to escalate. Things are getting out of control very, very quickly. We don't have to keep reading to know that this is spelling disaster. <laughs> this is not going to end well. And that's the need for first responders. Somebody's going to have to step in and, and figure out a way for this situation to de-escalate. Understand that we all carry, carry around a water jug and a gas can. It's empty, by the way, if you were curious and wondering about that. Our insurance won't allow me to have gas in a, in a theater. So we carry each of these around. And I've shared this with some of you before. But even though we carry these two items with us everywhere we go, there's technically three options that we have when we respond to a situation. Any situation, any person, we can respond in one of three ways. The first one is to do nothing. Now, if you are a firefighter and you know that a fire is started and you do nothing, what is that fire going to do? Yeah, it's going to spread. It is going to spread. It's going to continue to get worse. So doing nothing, we might think, well, I don't want to get involved. It's not my fight. It's not my problem. True, but it's eventually going to become your problem because it's going to get worse. But we do have that choice to do nothing. The other choice we have is to what David is getting ready to do. 400 men, get your swords. We're going to go visit this guy. That's called putting gas on the fire. <laughs> That's not going to help. That's not going to make things better. In fact, it's going to do what? Make it what? Worse. Yes, he is just going to go to war over this. Now, should Nabal have said what he said? Of course not. Should David have told his 400 men to strap on swords so they can go kill him? Maybe that's a slight overreaction. It's, it's putting gas on the fire. Now we have a third option. Ooh, easier said than done, though. And that's putting water on the fire. And that says, okay, I'm going to insert myself into this situation, and, and I'm not going to let it spread. I'm not going to make it worse. I'm going to do everything I can to make it better. Everything I can. Now, that's the key word. There's many times that... You know what, even the, you put as much fire on the, or as much water on that fire as you want, and it's not going to fix it, no doubt. But can we at the end of the situation, that's what a first responder would do. Have I done everything humanly possible? Have I done everything I could to, to de-escalate this situation to make it better, to make it better? So here's what happens. We, we don't have a first responder in the scene yet, but we're about to see one. Nabal and David, they're getting ready to go to war together just over some words that were exchanged. Very few words, but significant words that just set both of them off. Now, remember his wife's name? Who's Nabal's wife? Remember her name? Abigail. And there was two words that described her. They were beautiful and intelligent. Beautiful and intelligent. And she inserts herself into this situation. 
she inserts, she gets word of what David's men are getting ready to do. The servants and some of it, the shepherds out in the field, they, they have heard and they're starting to see David and his 400 men with swords on their way to visit them. And so she does something. She steps in, verse 18. Here's where she begins acting as a first responder. Verse 18, Abigail acted quickly, quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five what would be bushels of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband involved. She's looking at this situation, recognizing it is spinning out of control very, very quickly. Disaster is inevitable. And she says, I've got to do something. Doing nothing would just make it worse. She's now down to two other options. How am I going to make this better? How do I need to respond appropriately? How is God asking me, she's thinking, to respond in this situation? Now, what's interesting here is she acted quickly and she didn't ask for permission. Acted quickly, didn't ask for permission. She wasn't just going to sit around and wait for things to maybe work out. No, she acted quickly and she got all of this food, what we're going to see later as gifts, She got her servant says, you go on ahead, I'll be right behind you. And she's riding out to meet David and these 400 men on a warpath for Nabal's household. (laughs) See, there's a difference between being peaceful and being a peacemaker. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. And so she sets out to make peace instead of just waiting for peace to happen, for waiting for peace to, to show itself. And she says, I'm going to make peace. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. Will it be enough? I don't know. There's no guarantees, but I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make peace instead of just waiting for peace. She could have stayed at home and said, well, when David gets here, maybe I'll go out and I'll try to sweet talk him. Maybe I'll I'll try to go talk to Nabal and get him to apologize. No, she says, without permission, without asking for permission, she does what's right. She acts quickly, and she rides out to meet David. Now, please put, put yourself in her shoes for a moment. She's riding out to meet David. Is David in a good place mentally, emotionally, spiritually? No. In fact, if you were to look at verse 22, he's starting to like mutter to himself. He's riding over to Nabal's household with these 400 men ready to do some damage, and he's talking to himself. One of the things he says, he says, may God deal with David. He's talking to himself in in Persian. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. He is like just pumping himself up over everything that that had happened. Remember, he's now at a 10 emotionally, but look at what Abigail does. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly, you're seeing a theme here, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. How many men are with David ready for war? 400. How many Abigails are there? One. (laughs) And she rides up to meet David. No clue how he would respond. No clue how he would act. She doesn't have a good grasp on the current situation, but she says, I've got to do something. So she quickly got off her her donkey, bowed down before David, her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my lord. Let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. (laughs) He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. Verse 27 says, and let she continues to talk and and just share her heart, verse 27, and let this gift, pointing to all the things that we read about earlier that she brought, and let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servants for 
what she's saying there is, and, and just so we're very clear, she's using different my lords. If you look back in there, when you see Lord lowercase, she's talking to David. When you see Lord uppercase, she's talking about God. So she has a relationship with God, and, and she's being respectful and reverent and humble to both. So she approaches David, and, and not knowing how this is going to go, there's no guarantee. This was a very risky move on her part, but again, she had to do something. She bows down and just begins to share. With her face to the ground, she begins to share her heart, and she begin, continues to talk to David. In fact, she even recognizes and knows that he's the next king. And she says that. She says, I know you're the next king and that God has great plans for you. And she turns the corner. Look at what she does in verse 30. She says all of this and she gets to verse 30. When the Lord God has fulfilled for my Lord, talking to David, every good thing he had promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel. Look at this. My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. What she's saying, she gets to this very end part of her, her plea, her speech. And she says, out of everything that I've told you, consider this, that you will one day be ruler over Israel. God has promised that. You know that. And when you, David, are king over Israel, ruler over God's people, do you really want this on your conscience? She says, not just on your conscience, do you want this staggering burden of needless bloodshed on your conscience? Are you thinking about what you're doing here, David? And what she is doing is she is being not just a first responder, but she is de-escalating this situation. And she's absolutely brilliant at it. And she ends with, with leaning into the regret piece. Do you really... Do you really think this is wise, David? Are you going to regret this? When you're sitting on your throne one day, are you going to regret what you are about to do? Would you even be punished for it? Maybe God would punish you. See, notice she did not just jump in and say, David, I have a proposition for you. Think about what you're doing. Man, if you've ever looked at your wife and said, think about what you're doing, how's that worked out for you? No, I would advise you not to do so. <laughs> Ladies, have you looked at your husband and says, what are you thinking? And they say, well, I don't know. Obviously, that doesn't work for us either. There's a, there's a progression here, and she walks it through beautifully and brilliantly of de-escalating the situation, getting David from, he went from a zero to a 10, and she's pulling him back towards that zero. He's not there yet, but she's pulling him that direction. And she ends it with trying to rationalize with him. Hey, let's, let's, let's figure this out. Let's talk through this. I mentioned earlier that I had an opportunity. Russell, he was up here uh, reading a passage of Scripture this morning, did a ride-along with him. Uh, around Dawson County, and if you ever get a chance, or not even a chance, just go ask to do a ride-along. It is a blast. You will see things you never thought you would see before. So we're riding around, and I got stuck in the back seat by my own choice, just so we're all clear and on the same page of that. So I'm in the back seat, and, and, and Russell, as the deputy, is driving us around, and, and you're hearing stuff on the radio, and, and he gets one call, and of course, there's all the numbers and the codes that I don't understand, and he looks, and, and he's like, well, we're close, but you have to stay in the car. And I'm like, sir, whatever you tell me to do. <laughs> so we, we, he, he just books it over, and he's the first on the scene. And, and basically what had happened was there was an individual who, who had pulled a knife out. And it's obviously a very tense situation. And, and what you see Russell do is he gets out of his police, uh, his police car and begins walking forward. I'm in the back just like, oh, man, this, I hope everything's going to be okay. I'm excited but nervous. It was a weird feeling. And I'm watching him walk up to this individual 
that, that was told had knives on him. And, and I'm watching him walk up. And, and what I didn't see Russell do was grab the machine gun out of the back and run out towards him saying, everybody down. No, you saw him. I mean, it was just like he was going to the grocery store. He just kind of like nonchalant. And I'm like, Russell, be careful. <laughs> like I have more experience than he does in this situation. <laughs> but just nonchalantly walked up and began having a conversation with this guy. And it was unbelievable. Me sitting in the car, many hundred yards back, mind you, watching this whole thing unfold, and then see the guy just hand over. And I'm like, this guy come over and teach me how to parent. I mean, it's like, Connor, let go of the Fruit Loops. I mean, he knows something I don't know. And so he was able, first one see nobody else was there, then another, you know, uniform came up, and the state, and then EMT showed up, and before you know it, the whole parking lot's full. But he had an incredible ability as a first responder to walk to a scene that was obviously dangerous and a lot of unknowns to walk up and de-escalate the situation without making it worse. And it all worked out. It worked out more than okay. And he gets back in the car like, oh, yeah, okay, let's go do something else. It's like, wait, time out. Can we just talk about what just happened here? <laughs> it was like, no, I've done this before. Understand, that's exactly what, what Abby is doing here. She walks into a situation, a lot of unknowns, it's very risky, but she has a way where she's able to take David from this dangerous place and a whole situation that's blowing up out of control and bring it all back down to a place where there can be some reasoning, where there can be a conversation, where no one's going to regret the actions that they might follow through with. Again, we have three options, but we said one is just not a good option. Doing nothing doesn't help. So we're down to the water and the gas. And often, like I said earlier, we want to do this and we intend to, to do this, but in reality, we get some things out of order and we unintentionally make it worse. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk through you based on what Abigail has done here. What is her process? When you walk into a situation, whether it is at home with your kids, whether it is in the workplace, whether it is in a, a very high high-risk situation like many of our first responders deal with on a daily basis, whether it's just on the phone. If you've ever had to call your cable company, you know what it means to be on the phone and have to respond. That's just asking for gas on the fire if you're calling them. So there, there's situations we deal with throughout our life, and, and honestly, daily, the levels of, of, of risk and the levels of danger obviously vary, but we respond all the time. We respond to our kids and to our spouse and to our coworkers and to our neighbors and to our HOAs that keep getting fed up because their garbage cans in the front yard. All these things, all these things we are called to respond to. So the biggest question is how do we respond with water instead of with gas? So let me walk through these again, all based on what Abigail has already done. The first thing we saw this as a theme, act quickly. She acted quickly. As soon as she heard what was happening, she said, we've got to do something. Remember, she acted quickly. She didn't wait for permission. She says, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to make peace instead of just waiting for peace. So she gets everything together, and she initiates it. She doesn't wait for it to come to her. Well, if they call me, if, if David wants my opinion, I'll give it. No, she says, I'm going out to him. Even though she's facing 400 ang angry armed men, soldiers, she says, I'm going to meet them, and I'm going to begin to talk with them. So she acted quickly. She knew she had to do something, and she acted quickly. Then she approached David. Remember what? She quickly got off her donkey. And what did she do? She bowed down. She approached with humility. So often we approach situations like, I got this. Listen to me. That doesn't help. That is an unintentional gas on the fire. 
if Russell is, if Ed Walker, if any deputy just walked in, they walk with confidence, but they, they also approach with humility and cautiousness. They don't just walk in with machine guns yelling and running, unless the situation is absolutely necessary. They said, no, let's approach, let's be cautious, let's be aware, let's approach with humility. Spouses, this is especially key. If you are married or plan to be married, this one is huge. We miss this step because we're, we live with our spouse. We're just like, yeah, well, you know my heart. I, you know what I mean. And we don't take the time to approach with humility. If you're noticing just with you and your spouse, there's just this, this fire back and forth and we can't seem to put it out, have some good self-evaluation. Don't look at your spouse and say, that's your problem. You keep doing that. That's not what I'm saying here. Look at you and say, am I approaching, am I responding with humility before anything else? She hasn't said a thing yet, has she? Has she? No. She acted quickly. First thing that she did was she just humbled herself before the Lord. We cannot miss that step in our relationships. No matter what we're responding to, approach with humility. Instead of, because what could have happened and what tends to happen, David's emotionally a 10 and we try to meet that. So we, we approach as a 10 as well. No, if David's a 10, we approach as a 0. That's exactly what Abigail did. Approach with humility. Also, take ownership rather than pass blame. This is interesting. If you go back to the scriptures, she says something, and uh, I need you to understand what she's actually saying because we could, we could misinterpret it here. In verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak to you. What she's literally saying there is, May the blame be on me. She humbles herself, and then she says, May the blame be on me, my Lord. Talking to the Lord. Now, is any of this her fault, yes or no? Did she cause any of this? No. Is she going to be, unfortunately, part of what David goes and just destroys? Yeah. And so she looks at the situation and says, okay, it's not my fault. I didn't cause it. But she takes ownership, even though it's not hers to own. What happens is, in, in especially these back-and-forth situations, and not just with families, I mean, you name a relationship where there's tension, there's arguing, there's conflict, this is a reality. We get in this circle or, or this cycle of conflict. And the cycle of conflict is only broken when somebody takes ownership. Because what we like to do is we keep blaming. Blaming keeps the cycle going. It's the engine to the conflict. But what she does is before anything, she doesn't make excuses. She just says, I'll own it. You're upset. I'll own it. What Nabal said, I'll own it. She takes ownership instead of placing blame and continuing that cycle of conflict, which is going to end with just devastation on both sides. Take ownership rather than pass blame. Then she empathizes. She says, pardon my Lord, I'll take the blame, but pay no attention to my husband. He's an idiot. And all of us, all of you wives could say that about your husbands. I'm sure at some point, don't listen to him. He doesn't he, do, he knows not what he does, is what she's saying. And so here she empathizes. She says, I get it. He, he shouldn't have said that. His name means fool, and, and folly follows him, and, and he has been in this situation before. David, try, I, I understand how you could be. I live with I'm his wife. I understand how horrible he is. I get it. So she humbly bows down before him. She takes ownership, even though it wasn't hers to own, and then she begins to empathize and even seek to understand him to step in his shoes for a moment, say, okay, I see where you're coming from. I understand why you're so upset. Then she offers all of these gifts. She says, may all of this that I've brought be for your men, the men that are following you. And then she says, please forgive me, my Lord. Please forgive my presumption. In other words, if I've offended you in any way, forgive me. I love that 
the forgiveness, the, the, the word of forgive me, she utters is after what she offers him. Men, let me ask you this question. When you make your girlfriend or your wife upset, you say you're sorry, but what do you bring home with you? That's the right answer. <laughs> the rest of you write that down. <laughs> yes. Why? Why do we do that? It's because, well, actions speak louder than words. And so for her, she offers these gifts, says, this is for you. And then she says, please forgive me. Now, I'm not saying you need to offer gifts every single time. Husbands, that's not a bad idea, but I'm not saying we have to. But we do need our actions to back up our words. She just doesn't say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and it's flipping and there's no heart to it. No, she's backing up her words with her actions by all of this that she is giving to David. Please forgive me, because we have to have our actions match our then the last thing, and we talked about it briefly, after she does all of that, she finally gets to a place where she can begin to reason with David. She's basically saying, let's figure this out. She goes through this entire process and comes to a point where she says, you don't want this on your conscience. You, you might regret this. And David, let's figure a way out of this. That's what this looks like. That's how we put water on the fire instead of letting it spread and letting it get bigger, unintentionally throwing gas on the fire. We walk through this process of first acting quickly, but doing so and approaching with humility. And as we approach, oh man, we, we take ownership. It's like, I get it. We begin to empathize. We try to understand their position, their emotions, their side of the story. And then from that, we, we say, I am, I am sorry. We get good at saying those words. Let's practice. Say, I'm sorry. We're going to at least three more times. Ready? I'm sorry. You're getting worse as we keep doing this. <laughs> no, you're supposed to get better as we keep doing this. Practice the I'm sorry. Get good at saying I'm sorry. Sometimes that's, that's all it takes is a sincere apology of please forgive me. I'm sorry. How can we work this out? And she begins to rationalize with David, getting him to a place of reason. I want you to see how David responds. After all this happens, verse 32, David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment. I want you to circle it, write down that word. I'm going to come back to it. May you be blessed for your good judgment, that phrase, and for keeping me from bloodshed, from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who have kept me from harming you, so he's even close to harming her, <laughs> If you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal's home would have been left alive by daybreak. He says, good thing you showed up. I saw you coming and I was ready to kill you. And truly by the grace of God, I didn't. But I'm glad God kept me from harming you because you saved me. That's what David's saying. You have saved, you have saved me from harming so many. Then, he, then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him said, go home in, what's this word? Peace. Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. David commends her for two main things. Good judgment and a quick response. Good judgment and a quick response. You have to have both. They don't work just isolated. Good judgment and a late response ends up turning into a last resort mentality. Well, I know what I need to do, but it's too late, so I'm just going to gonna hail, hail Mary it. That's what happens. Unfortunately, a lot of marriages get to that place, don't they? We're good judgment, but it's just a little too late. And we're trying to make up for all that lost time. 
On the flip side, if we act quickly, we don't have good judgment. Well, that's just foolish. <laughs> that's rash. And both of those situations add gas to the fire. But David recognizes, you have acted quickly but with good judgment. And he's able to say this word that he would not have been able to say if it wasn't for her. Go home in peace. Go home in peace. We are not guaranteed peace. But we are to do everything we can to make peace. Be a peacemaker. Be a first responder. First responders go towards crisis and towards problems. They ride out to meet 400 soldiers ready for war to de-escalate the situation. But we have to do the right things in the right order so God can continue to bless. One last thing I want you to pay attention to here. Abigail is married to a jerk. <laughs> and we don't know how that marriage happened. Most likely it was an arranged marriage, but maybe not. Maybe... Maybe he was a nice guy, and over the years, he's begun to change. But for however it worked out, she was stuck in a marriage with a man that was mean and harsh and unreasonable. She would have had every right when she found out David was coming to clean house. It's like, about time. Woohoo! <laughs> I'll unlock the door for you. She doesn't. It would have made sense for her to have grown angry and bitter over the years say, oh, you finally get what you deserve. She did not allow her bad situation to grow her bitter. So often, bitterness keeps us from responding well. Bitterness keeps us from acting quickly and with good judgment. Abigail had both, even in a bad situation. So may I encourage each and every one of us that instead of becoming bitter from our bad situations, we, like Abigail, we say, I'm going to be a first responder. We don't grow angry and we don't grow bitter because of the situation we're in, but we seek to make it better. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the lessons we learn in your word. Thank you so much for the impact you have on each and every one of our lives. Thank you for using us as a, as a first responder in so many different situations. Of course, we, we are so thankful and we're blessed to have such incredible first responders that make it their job and their duty and their calling every single day to watch over the rest of us. But in each of our own little worlds, we also are called to respond well. In the situations with our, our family and our kids, with our neighbors and our community, with the people that we go to work with and the people we interact with, may we have a first responder's heart as you have called us 